Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. And Monday and Tuesdays are very difficult for me. Uh, they're long days. They're very hard days. By Tuesday night, I am completely wiped out. I wake up Wednesday, and I actually think every single Wednesday that it's Friday, because that's what it feels like. That's how exhausted I am. And then we clear Wednesday night, and then I'm excited because, wow, we still have Wednesday and Thursday. I'm with the family. And then it's Saturday night, and it happens that fast. And then it's Sunday morning, and Sunday mornings, that's everybody's, I hope, excitement as we get ready to worship. We get all day Sunday, and we stay here all day Sunday, you know, visit and go hang out and fellowship, and then the day's over. And it's, I can't fathom that it is been seven months since what happened. It's just been, you know, it's just so fast. And I don't know, I, I can't. It just is beyond the mental comprehensive ability. And turn your Bibles tonight to Isaiah <clears throat> chapter 29. Isaiah chapter 29. God laid a message on my heart tonight titled Lip Service or Heart. And what was at this period in history? There, Isaiah has some, hmm, church, Isaiah has some tough stuff. I don't know if this, this chapter is a woe chapter. Now, when you look at the scriptural statement of woe, it's not a, Whoa, horsey, slow down. No, it's always a whoa, there is something bad going on. Uh, we remember with Jesus and the woes, right? What does woe mean? Beware. Woe to you. You're in judgment. There's a lot of different things, but a lot of Isaiah. Anybody else reading through the Bible with the card that I print out every year? Where are you at? If you're in on course and not ahead or anything, you're in Isaiah. Isaiah can be extremely encouraging, but it also can be extremely convicting. Uh, it's so, church, I get so excited about what God's doing in people. I'm hearing so many stories, hearing out of the mouths of people here, God is really working. God is really bringing things to people's hearts, their minds, changing generational things that they've battled and struggles, that they're getting victory that they watched their parents struggle with for decades. That's exciting to me. That, to me, is victory. I heard of a story today, just broke my heart, because you hear me talk so much about religion, uh, but I was in a facility today, and there's a retired pastor's wife that uh, was involved in the church service from an, I'm just going to say, because we're online, another denomination. And in this denomination, they're not real keen on instruments and things. They don't have instruments. They're not even playing instruments. When they sing, they were singing a cappella. But this woman, the pastor's wife, so excited down there singing, and they told her, they found out she was a Baptist, and they told her that she was not invited. And that just breaks my heart, because that is the picture right there, church of religion. I don't care what you are. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we are one in Christ. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I do not care 
when you take communion, how you take it. If you followed in believer's baptism, you were a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, and you love the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are my brother, you are my sister. But this is what happens, church, when religion becomes triumphant or preeminent. You end up becoming dogmatic about things that have no consequential meaning. They mean absolutely nothing. Church, if this church was hit by a tornado tomorrow, you know what I'd do? I'd call WKRN and all those other news stations that I don't watch, and I'd say, do me a favor. Our church just let, it just blew down last night. Will you meet us out there because we're getting ready to have church? And you know what I'd do? On TV, I would make sure they understand we only lost a structure. Our church is as viable and as powerful, as real, and as committed as it's ever been. And that is what the world needs to see. This building is nothing more than a shell that has no eternal meaning. This is a beautiful blessing that God's given us. I'm in no way minimizing that. But what people get mixed up about is what the church represents, and it has never been a building. The enemy wants us to do that. They want us to get torn up about having the curtain colors and the choir robe colors and all these things throughout history. They want them to fight. They want us inner. The enemy loves infighting. He loves a house divided because there is ultimately going to be a fall. But tonight, this just is another message again about what the heart of us, always continually aware of the heart's condition. And the title tonight is Lip Service or Heart. This period in this, this nation of judgment, God would hit to the heart of the matter. We're going to see what God said in two verses in Isaiah 29. Verses 13 and 14. And I hope you found it. If you're able, let's stand tonight out of reverence for the reading of God's word. The Lord said, These people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me, and their human rules direct their worship of me. Therefore, I will again confound these people with wonder after wonder. The wisdom of their wise will vanish, and the perception of their perceptive will be hidden. Father God, hide me behind the cross tonight. Lord, let your words speak. Let your spirit, God, give us ears to hear, hearts receptive to the message of the gospel tonight, and the obedience, Lord, to leave here tonight as disciples engaged, excited, energized to go out and be obedient in the mission fields you place us in. And Lord, may you alone be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I don't think there's two verses off the top of my head tonight that you could read that is as picturesque of, in essence, a rebuke from the Lord himself. A rebuke from the Lord himself about what I just referenced a moment ago, religion. Now, you've got to understand historically, I've not even done it. I need to do it. It's going to be about a, well, it's going to be a long message if I ever do it. I guess I'll have to do it in parts, and that's the problem. I don't do well doing things in parts when it comes to this. I need to share my testimony here. Uh, I grew up as religious as anybody could ever imagine. I grew up in a home with parents that loved Jesus, bananas for the Lord. My father, when God called him the ministry, my dad would drink a glass of wine at night. He smoked a pipe. And when my dad was called the ministry, dead up church, God just completely removed that from him beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, I asked my dad about that uh, in my later childhood, and he just said, well, I didn't feel like it was a good testimony. And 
I just remember thinking, wow, that's pretty profound that you would let something go that you'd done for many years because you wanted, and it just, it resonated with me. But, so I grew up in a, in a very godly home. My, my dad in the morning would, look, if you looked at him from, if a man, a, a man with, a man's man looked at my dad in the morning, you'd have looked at him and thought he was the biggest idiot on the planet earth. My dad had a ukulele and it was about this big. And in the mornings, he would do devotions with us, and my dad would play that ukulele, and we would sing. And you just you would have to see it to understand. Can you imagine a grown adult man with a ukulele playing little children's songs to children in the morning? And I think about it now, and it just brings me about to tears, because I think about how my dad doesn't mind being made an idiot in the, the world's perspective to honor Christ. And it, it really means a lot to me as I look back and I reflect on how much passion and how much love my parents have for not only the Lord, but for us as kids, willing to do that. Didn't care when we had friends over, my dad still did it. It didn't matter who was there. My father did not ever care what anybody thought about him. He loves the Lord and my mom likewise. But as I thought about that and thinking about my upbringing and the compromise that I saw, and you'll hear me reference a lot of times, I know people probably can get confused and think, Man, was his parents doing? My parents never did. My parents did not compromise. My parents were steadfast in their love for the Lord. The compromise that I saw was in the little schools that my parents would put me in, the little church schools that had a very legalistic type background. So I would see these rules that they would set out before us. And then I happen to remember most notably one of the pastors who'd said, if you listen to anything but Christian music, you know you're going to hell. And uh, he had a Cadillac that he parked under, uh, at the side of the church, right at his office, there was an awning. And he had a white Cadillac, a 1993 uh, Cadillac DeVille, beautiful, had red leather interior in it. And I remember as I, one day I was walking by that car, it was a beautiful car for that era, you know, re- very nice car. And I remember looking by it one day, and I remember down there in his cassettes, he had a big long of cassettes, and he left the, the armrest up. And in there was Conway, Twitty, all of these tapes that were counter what he was telling us. And I was about 15 years old then. And that was one of the straws that broke the camel's back where I just, um, back in my lost days, I'd put a, a number of metaphors strung together to tell you what I thought about it. But it really was one of the nails in the coffin to me saying, this is all a bunch of bunk. They had suspended me more times. They ended up expelling me. I smoked. I got caught smoking so many times that they finally expelled me. Thankfully, I had 21, if I remember, or 22 or three credits at that point. You only had to have 20 credits to graduate back then. And they were forced to allow me to graduate. But I just remember having such a disdain because the pastor's daughter was one of my teachers. And at lunch, she would take me off the grounds to a restaurant and we smoked the entire time. And it was those kind of things, church, that really, um, that was the first time I used an illegal substance with, with my teacher. Uh, I could go on and mortify all of you with the things that I was taught by the pastor's daughter that was 40 years old, who was my teacher, who was my mentor. And I disdained lip service. I was a uh, all in. And my dad, when I got saved, I'll never forget my dad. He said to me one day, he said, son, I respect something about you. I said, what is that, Pop? He goes, well, before you gave your life to the Lord, you lived like the devil. And I said, well, Pop, I, I do not like duplicity. 
I do not like compromise and living light and darkness and you know it out of the heart springs out of the mouth springs the wellspring of the heart and it was a long time it was 29 years old as many of you've known and I'm just giving you just a brief introduction to one day I'll be able to share with you when I gave my life to Christ it wasn't even a thing of oh I've decided to go back to church now no God in August of 2004 God just overwhelmingly I'll never forget it. It was God said, give me your life. I was on McDale Lane in Shelbyville smoking a cigarette, 11.30 at night, getting ready to get off shift at the police department. I turned on McDale Lane, and I heard God say, plain as day, give me your life. And I took a big drag of that Winston uh, light cigarette that I was smoking and said, I said out loud, God, I'll never be able to give you my life in this profession. Guess what? God is really good because September 20th of 2004, God put me on my back, and I knew immediately what God was doing, and I'll never forget at the old hospital in the last bay, if you remember in the ER there, you'd walk through the, the doors that opened up if you went in the ambulance entrance, and there were like triage bays all the way down through there, the very last one I was laying in that bed, and I'll never, I didn't know what was going to happen with my back, I had no clue, but I knew exactly that God had put the brakes on me, and I didn't know if just a strain back, and I was going to be back at work in a week, I just knew and I said, God, I'm, I'll never, Lord, today, I know you're not the God of rules, but the God of relationship. And I give you my life. I confess my sin. I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and I will follow you and serve you the rest of my life. I said, I will not stop drinking, smoking, and cursing. And the God, if you want that out of my life, you're going to take out what needs taken out, and you're going to put in what needs to be put in. I'll never forget that. September 20th, sorry, September 19th of 2004 was the last drink I ever had because I never got off work that day to go home. I was actually in the hospital for a few days and that was the last time that I'd ever drank. God delivered me from that. That was God though. And that was the first time in my life I began to experience the power of God and the hand of God versus religion. It was the thing that I disdained and that's why if you ever hear me talk about it, I get rather heated when I... When I, you, we start talking about religion and not living it, I don't have time to play games. And I really mean that when I say that authentically. It is destructive to the kingdom. There's been things that have happened with my children here that have been destructive with people who have done the very things that I have told you happened to me as a child. And I'm very thankful that my kids have been able to see me live for the Lord and honor the Lord because I know for a fact that that's made a difference. I know most notably in my son because we've had conversations about it. And he said, Dad, I know that you're the real deal because I would not be at our church if you were not the real deal. So I'm thankful that God gives us the strength to be able to be a testimony of the work of God. But also, I say this to encourage you. If you have things in your life that you know if someone saw or did, if you have a child that watches you talk about the dangers of being in alcohol and involving yourselves in things that are counterproductive to your testimony, you don't have... Uh, your doctor says you need to drink to keep your kidneys clear, why don't you just trust the Lord, amen? It's not something that is a natural substance that has a benefit to your health, amen? It is a produced substance that actually the scripture talks about, do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. This spirits that we know now are not the same as it was in the biblical time, amen? It is hyper distilled and it has a extremely high alcohol content but it's very dangerous for you i say these things though to tell you you do not want to be that person that has one of the young people that happens to find that bottle in your trash can because you're really good at hiding it 
And one of those young people comes to your house one Saturday and helps you take the trash off. And when you dump it out there, I promise you what will happen. The one bag that has it in there will break open as you dump it in the dumpster. And what will happen is potentially the same thing that happened to the first person that I invited to do the first revival at Longview Baptist Church when I was a pastor. Anybody remember his name? Ron Smart. And Ron Smart stayed with the pastor and his wife. Ron Smart had been a drinker but came to Christ, had been in prison, was released on work release to a pastor and his wife. The people at the construction site were encouraging him to go out and drink with them, and Ron said, no, I gave my life to Christ. I'm a Christian now. He goes home one Friday, one Friday afternoon, opens the refrigerator, and there sits a six-pack of beer. Ron, not going to drink it, Ron says to the pastor, hey, uh, what do you think about a Christian drinking alcohol? He says, it's not a problem as long as you drink in moderation. That was the night that he killed those five people. He went out with those people because of the pastor telling him that it wasn't an issue as long as you drank in moderation, which he could not do. And Ron went out that night and he killed five people, murdered them in cold blood. I often think back, could you imagine being that pastor with the weight of the compromise in something you never ever should have had in the home of someone first of all if they were on work release and it had a background like he had we've just got to be careful church do i believe it's a heaven and hell issue no i'm not talking we're not even in it doesn't even matter it's not about a heaven and hell issue it's a matter of what do we want the sum total of our lives to represent what do we want to be what do we want to live and tonight are we lip service or do we have a heart that is sold out to the kingdom and the kingdom work and I'm no longer worried about what I can do and get away with or whatever. No, I want to be a reflection of God's glory and I want the world to see the reflective picture of Jesus Christ in my life. I don't want the world to have to sift through the compromise and wonder what's real and what's not. I don't want that. I want the world to have a plain picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it means to be an uncompromising Christian in a compromised world of Christians so that they see the reality of what it looked. Verse 13, the first part of it again. The Lord said, these people approach me with their speeches or with their words to honor me with lip service. And I'll stop right there. So these people come to the Lord with what God himself is saying right now is lip service, their speeches, their words, their hollow words. They honor me with this lip service. First thing that I want to share with you is this. Tonight, are you lip service or are you living for Christ? Are you learning so well the talk that you're able to talk the talk well? sit down in conversations with people and talk in a Christ-like manner. Does anybody know what that means? You can get together and you might even have a little bit and enough of the spirituality mixed with your emotionalism that when you start talking about Jesus, you get goosebumps and you're able to show them how spiritual you are. I've seen this church. I've been around this. I've experienced this. I've seen people so steeped in compromise that you would have thought, literally, they were just about Jesus himself in the way that they talked and the way that they presented themselves and the spiritual model with which they aligned themselves with. 
only to find out later that literally it was like the Pharisees. They're whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. Now, you might go, well, Brother Jonathan, the Bible says don't judge someone. Oh, I didn't say they're going to hell. I, has, I said nothing about what their eternal condition's going to be. Because judgment has to do with what? Passing sentence. A judge issues a final edict with which he looks at someone and says, you are going to hell. And we have no place or ability to do that, church. We are not a judge. Let me give you a great understanding of what we are called to be spiritually. We are called to be the state's attorney. All of our lives are basically a trial. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ in the ultimate finish of Matthew chapter 25? It's judgment day. He will separate the sheep from the goats. Sheep on the right, goats on the left. Come, ye blessed my father, prepare from the foundations of the world. I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I can go into the whole thing, but we don't time's sake. Let's be as good as I can with time. But that's the picture of what the ultimate judgment's going to be. But every single day, we are literally, it's as if, I remember a pastor many years ago said this statement. It's resonated with me deeply. He said, if you were arrested and charged with being a Christian, would you be found guilty with overwhelming evidence, or would you be found not guilty for a lack of evidence? Now think about this. This is what I'm going to say. Let's say tonight they come in here and they arrest every one of us. They take us to different houses or jails with which they're going to hold us in the meantime, and they proceed to gather not your church friends, but all of the people with which you work and you associate every moment of your day apart from here. You want to find out what somebody would be, all I want to do is listen to all of those people and you ask them, what do you know about Jonathan? What do you know about Bruce? What do you know about Jackie? What do you know about Casca? What, what, what do you know? And you know what would happen is these people would begin to tell me who you are and they would begin to tell you who I am. See, that's the real you and that's the real me. It's not about what you say on Sunday. You can shout and hang from the chandeliers, glory, hallelujah. You can raise hands. You can roll on the floor and be what you'd consider more filled than any other person on the planet. But see, your friends will tell you and I what you really are. Because that's the real us. See, people put on Sunday, I call it the Sunday suit. Saturday night, you know, get up. Half, half uh, fell over from whatever you did the night before. Put on your Sunday dress. Wash your face. Come to church. Smile. Oh, praise God. Glory. Hallelujah. Walk out of church. Take it off. And go right back Monday. Shouting glory. Hallelujah on Sunday. And cursing the God on Monday. You might go, no, I, I mean, that's, that can't be. Brothers and sisters, you'd be astounded at what happens week in and week out on Monday mornings. And what happens on Sundays that paves way because what happens is the real person emerges on, Sunday, on Monday mornings. The facade of what they lift themselves up to be is what that picture is. So tonight, what is it? Lip service or living for Christ? Because see, that lip service is ultimately dust in the wind. It's nothing. Hot air is what I call it. But when you are living for Christ, there is a heart transformation that has occurred and that heart transformation in the work of God in your heart, does that mean that you don't ever make a mistake? 
that you don't ever fall spiritually flat on your back? Absolutely not. And please do not misconstrue the words that I'm saying because I am in no way a legalist and I don't believe in legalism. I disdain legalism. But what I'm saying is when a relationship with Jesus, a transaction spiritually has occurred, it changes you. It changes you. The same thing that I will tell you 20 years ago right now, 25 years ago right now, you would not like me. I assure you, you would not like me. I'm not going to boast about what I am or was apart from Jesus Christ, but I assure you, there would be no confusing what I am if you had run into me back then. We've had people come in here that knew me in the past that could not believe. They just were astounded because they knew me before I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And there was no distinction between the two people. And this is the other thing. You might go, hey, there was a person here who came one time. You know what they wanted to do? They came here with the sole purpose. I know this for a fact. They were going to stand up and tell the church what I really was. You know what happened when they wanted to do it? God would not let them open their mouth. I know this for a fact. Because they came with someone and then told them when they left what they wanted to do. God would not let them utter the words out of their mouth. You know what the beautiful thing about it is? Here we are, 15 years later, and I'm still doing exactly what God's called me to do because this is what I know. He who began a good work and you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. And see, the truth, I don't have to go and tell the world. When I gave my life to Christ, my family knew about it, but I didn't tell nobody. You know why? I wanted people to see the transforming work of God in my life. I wasn't going to talk about it. I got so sick and tired of hearing people talk about what they were and they were so different from what they told you they were that I said, I want to do the polar opposite. I want the transforming power of God to be manifest in my life. And I want people to ask me, what's different about you? Because see, to me, that's what's real. We can play games all day long. We can make people think we're this, that, or the other. And that's not what being a follower of Christ is. What being a follower of Christ is, is when your friends come in. It's not what happened to me many years ago when someone was going to church here. We were really good friends. We would go and do things together. That's what I'll say. I don't want to uh, uh, break no confidences. But we would go and do a certain uh, uh, activity together. And we, we had stopped at a, at a store. I'll just leave it at that. And, and we went in and the, the, uh, the person that was their friend came out. Well, the person went inside that was my friend to go and buy stuff. And uh, I said, hey, um, hey, I want to invite you to our church. We go out to Longview Baptist Church. They said, he goes to church? I will never forget it. And it literally hit me like a ton of bricks. This person has a very, very close relationship with this person in the store. And they, have no, they were stunned when I said that they went to church. That should not be that way. That should not be something that people question about or hear and go, oh, really? Because what would have happened if the people in this person's life, if they had been called to testify to the transforming work of God and that, that work of salvation in them, that person would have been found not guilty by lack of evidence. I hope tonight that the people in your life, if you were arrested tonight when they burst in these doors and took you to jail, you would be found guilty this week. Overwhelming evidence. Boom! Guilty. As charged. Because talk is cheap. Very cheap. Is it lip service? Or are you living for Christ tonight, church? 
You don't have to go in there and go, hey, I want you to come to Longview Baptist Church. Don't do that. I want you to share what Jesus means to you with your friends. I want you to tell them what God has done in your life if there's something to share. I want conversations to come up about how God has changed you and how he's blessed you. How God took the mess that you were before you became a follower of Jesus Christ and how you were a no-count husband or a no-count wife or a no-count child and how the power of God through the Spirit of God has transformed you and brought hope to hopelessness. See, that is what it means to be a follower of Christ. Or are you one of those, like I've asked somebody even recently in a, in a certain place, I said, oh, have you shared with them about your love for the... Well, I haven't... It hadn't been the right time. What's the right time to share the love of Christ and how God is working in us? Is the right time when you're standing over their casket at their funeral? Hey, sorry, we just didn't have the time. It, it just wasn't the conversation to come up. I'm sorry, my friend. I failed you. This happened here. I'll never forget it. Somebody came up to me and had been talking about how God had laid somebody on their heart, and I said, you need to go. I'm just waiting on the right opportunity. I'll never forget. They came in next week bawling, and they said that person died. I'll never forget the opportunities that I've had, one in particular. I had pre I had I'd driven a two or three hours to go and share Christ with somebody who had cancer. Somebody told me about a person who was dying of cancer that wanted to know about Jesus. And I drove three hours away and I shared the gift of salvation as this person's husband deliberately walked outside, did not want anything to do with it. And this uh, person professed faith in Jesus Christ that day, I'll never forget, and said, would you please, when I pass away, whenever it is, preach my funeral? I said, absolutely would. So I'll never forget it. I'm at this funeral preaching the good news that this sister had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we go out to the cemetery, and, I, and I'll never forget, it was in Bellbuckle, and there was a little bit of a hill. It was pretty close to where Mr., um, the, the tow truck guy, Aaron Haskins, pretty close to that area, and I was walking up that little hill, and there was a bunch of people there. I'll never forget, there's a lot of people. And God only let me see one man I'm never, I will never forget it as long as I live. I'm walking up there, and it's like there was nobody else there. And I saw this person, and I just walked. I'd never seen him in my life besides the funeral. And I walked up to him, and I said, hey, I have a question for you. If you died today and stood before the Lord, and he asked you why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And his response to me was, oh, I, my grandmother uh, read the Bible to me. And uh, my grandmother, and I said, listen, I don't want to hear about what your grandmother did for you. I want to know what Jesus Christ is for you. He says, I know what I need to do. And I said, then why don't you do it? He said, I'm just not ready. So I handed him my card and I said, listen, I don't care when it is. If you ever get to the place where you're ready, you call me anytime because it's the most important decision you will ever make. And I handed him my card and I walked away. This was on a Friday. Two weeks later, on a Friday night, we're at Grace Baptist Church getting ready to, to listen to a concert, a Christian concert. My phone starts to vibrate. I said, y'all go on and I'll be out. I went outside and I answered the phone. 
that man had been killed in an auto accident. And I was asked to preach his funeral. I'm at the funeral. I took three, if I remember, three of our guys here because I knew what the audience was going to be at this funeral. And we're in a very remote cemetery. I'm doing the graveside service for this young man. And I will never forget, as I began to say, let me tell you what he would say to you right now if he could come back and speak to you. I said he would get on his knees and beg you to give your life to Jesus Christ, with which cursing began. And one by one, people started to leave. You know why I was able to say that? Because I know for a fact, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that he would have begged his friends to give his life to Jesus Christ. I know that from God's word. Because I know what scripture says with the rich man and Lazarus. And I didn't, I didn't say, I don't, I don't know where he was. He could have given his life to Christ. I pray that happened. That was my hope. But I wanted to speak the truth. And the truth is, every person who breathes their last breath is the greatest evangelist about five seconds after they breathe their last breath than any evangelist has ever been in the history of all mankind. All of them. You know that Hitler, five moments after his death, five seconds, five minutes, five hours, would have been the greatest evangelist that ever had two legs on him had he had the ability to come back and share his experience. This is what I know. What we're talking about today is real. It's true. It's tangible. It's life-changing. So I'm at that funeral. You ready? Walk in the car, and same thing happens again with another man. And I walk up to him, but I happen to know this man. I said, hey, so-and-so. I said, if you died right now and stood before Jesus, and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And see, listen, I don't want none of that. But he went and started using expletives. And I said, man, I just love you. That's all I care. Church, you'll never believe it. Two weeks later, he was dead. I wasn't invited to that funeral. And I'll never forget it vividly. There were drugs on him. There was alcohol on him. And his whole entire obituary read about how he liked to drink, how he liked to party, and that was the sum total of his life. And I'll never forget the anguish inside of me as I sat there and I thought about even the words of Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And it is broad as the road that leads to what? The destruction. And many are there that go, but narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So my question to you is, are you sharing the good news of the gospel? Are you asking people what would happen if you breathed your last breath today? It's important. It's not a conversation that we can wait to have because we're not promised tomorrow. And if you really believe the scripture, you don't have another opportunity we only have right now. Are you going to take it or are you going to squander it and, and in essence play Russian roulette with someone else's eternity? Not yours, someone else's. It matters that much, church. It does. And the, the second part of verse 13, be out of time soon. Yet their hearts are far from me, and human rules direct their worship of me. So you got, remember again, their whole verse 13, I'll read it together now. The Lord said, these people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service. Just like a puppet. But their hearts are far from me, and human rules direct their worship of me. The second thing I want to share with you tonight is this. Rule-directed worship is no worship at all. Why do I say that? I'm saying this 
Do I believe that worship should be orderly? Absolutely. God is a God of order. Amen? We don't go in here and just start running on the back of the pews and shouting because we want to do it and disrupt the worship service. Now, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Amen? If you're in worship and we're raising our hands and our hearts in worship to the Lord and you want to shout, glory, help, praise God, let it rip. Amen? If we're in the middle of a worship service and God lays on your heart to come down here and pray, do it. Don't you grieve the Holy Spirit, but you won't be disruptive in it. You won't stand up and turn around and go, church, I need to go to the altar because that's not going to be in order, is it? You're going to be disruptive at that point. Get down here and you do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You get on your face before God and you cry out to Him because it's not about me. It's not about Longview Baptist Church. It's about the kingdom universal. It's about the kingdom of heaven. It's about the narrow road. And it is about us honoring the King of kings and the Lord of lords church. See, that's what it's about. It's not about rules. It's not about, oh, wait a minute. We didn't have three songs we didn't have an offering plate and then one more before we preached. Oh, Lord, help us. God, what are we going to do? We didn't sing 56 stanzas of just as I am. Oh, Lord, help us. As the preacher drones on saying, I know there's one more. As someone who is toiling with the thought of salvation finally goes, I wonder if he's talking to me. I'm going to go down there just to get him to stop. That's why, church, we sing the stanza, and when the last person is done, we shut it down. And if you notice, I don't talk over invitations. It's not about me. I am not the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit's the one that convicts someone unto salvation. I could stand down here, and I could emotionally work every single one of you week in and week out, and literally have people up here weeping. God forbid I fall under the human temptation to be a person that works the human emotions to my quote-unquote advantage. God forbid, amen? It is about the work of the Spirit. I will assure you of one thing. When the Spirit of God gets on you, you ain't going to be able to not go. And if you don't come, it's going to be because you grieve the Holy Spirit and you literally push the Spirit away. And brother and sister, when you do that, you yourself will bear the full consequence of that in God's presence one day. Because that is not the work of me, and it's not the work of emotion. It's the work of you yielding yourself and rending your heart to the Spirit of God that desires no one to perish, all men to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Sadly, religion has dictated the emotional pleas of pastors desiring to see a work of God in their flocks, when in all sad reality, anything other than that occurs when we begin to work emotions to the detriment of one yielding to the desire to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ because they hear the call of the Spirit in that moment. See, rule-directed worship is no worship at all, church. And then verse 14, and we'll finish. It says, therefore, I will again, remember this is God talking, therefore I will again confound these people with wonder after wonder, the wisdom of their wise will vanish and the perception of the perceptive will be hidden. You know, it's interesting. If you read that on the surface and you don't read it from a spiritual perspective, you can believe that God is just wanting to do wonders for them so that they're confound. Oh, they're just excited about, oh, look at this. Look what God's, no, no, this is judgment. 
He's going to confound these people with wonder after wonder. They're blown away, not in a good way. They, their minds can't even focus. They can't even think. The wisdom of the wise vanishes away because it is fleeting its foolishness. And the perception of the perception is hidden. Because what's happened is judgment has come. Church, that's why I think Proverbs 1 is so telling for all of us to remember. Wisdom calls out from the street. How, oh simple, will you love your simple ways? You fools hate knowledge. God goes on in that to say, I will pour out my thoughts to you. Look what I would do in essence. If you would merely open your hearts, allow me to speak, I'll pour out my heart, my wisdom to you. And it goes on as they continue to rebuke, rebut the truth and rebut wisdom that God ultimately says, okay, I will turn and mock you when calamity strikes you like a storm. Reminds me a lot of that parable I mentioned this morning with the return to the gods and in, in how that house is swept clean. You want to sweep it clean. You want to have a pretty interior, but you want to have a heart devoid of the Holy Spirit of God. You will find out exactly what Proverbs chapter 1, the end of that judgment is. The same way that you find out what religion does, it is worthless, it is harmless, it's rules-directed worship that is no worship at all. It is nothing. Dust in the wind, a waste of time, no genuine walk with Christ and fellowship with Christ, it's merely religion. Third and final thing this tonight I want to share with you and then we'll finish. God's power will bring human wisdom to its knees. There's nobody in a million years who could write the story of Longview Baptist Church. I'm not even joking. Can you imagine what would have happened if Pastor Jonathan, this new 33-year-old pastor, comes in Longview Baptist Church and says, hey, in just a few short years, in about 12, 13 years, this building won't be here. God will have expanded the building. I probably would have been took outside and hung. You don't, you don't ever take down 100-year-old churches. And I didn't. See, the God's work, God's way, God's purpose in God's perfect time is what God does. Again, his timing is perfect. God is the God of yesterday, today, and forever. He's the God that's working right now as he is orchestrating what I already saw 15 years ago. Church, you haven't begun to see what God's getting ready to build around me. Whether you like it or not, you're from this area, you better buckle up because I can assure you, I saw it 15 years ago because I promise you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I saw all the houses out here. I did. I knew what God was going to do. And when I started sharing about building the trellis and that book that uh, Rick uh, D Deaver, Mark Deaver, uh, from uh, First Baptist, I believe, uh, Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., wrote a, a, a completely convicting book about how so often God sends the vine, but we have no trellis for it, so the vine knocks down the trellis. And without growth and without the preparation for the vine, you do an injustice to the vine because you have no support network for it. And that is the reason... They walk in and they walk out. It's exciting to have ones here 
that are eating breakfast together, that are fellowshipping, that are discipling, spending time. This is what it's about, church. I can't do it all. I tried to years ago, and I found that I was an epic failure because I can't be everything to everyone, church. But guess what? When each person takes on that weight of responsibility and understanding, and you start getting plugged in together, you get what we're getting right now. You got text groups together with Sunday school classes and men and our ladies and your ladies' Bible studies. And what do all these things have in common? It is growing. It is encouraging. It's challenging. But it's equipping each of us as that trellis to support the vine and to effectively watch men and women, boys and girls, not only come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, but grow to maturity. They're reading God's word they're not waiting on you to tell them about what God's Word says. They're not the one that you're relying on because I am not a priest, church. We are under the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's exciting. But just to reiterate tonight, again, lip service or heart, where's your heart? Where is your passion? Where tonight is your testimony? Is the world tonight seeing the living Word of God lived out in your life or is it lip service? If you're sitting there and, and you've been giving God lip service and you're one of those people like I grew up with, I just want to tell you not shame on you. Shame on you, but I hope God convicts you enough where you leave here tonight and you lay in bed and I want to just tell you this other blessing I'm going to give you. I hope you don't sleep at all. I hope you're under such conviction that tomorrow I have a message when I get off work tomorrow night at 7 o'clock that you couldn't sleep and you're under such conviction that you need me to meet with you after I get off work. And I'll be out of it, but I guarantee I'll meet with you. Why? Because I care about you and I love you. And I'll lead you to saving faith in Jesus Christ so you can begin to live a life that will be a reflective work of Jesus Christ and you will be able to start the next day, Tuesday morning, with the ability to walk with the Creator instead of what you're experiencing right now, which is destructive, toxic religion. Amen? I want all of us tonight to go home and say, God, where am I? Where have I been? Where am I at? Where am I going? Because every person in this building, doesn't matter if you don't have kids or not, they're out of your house, you raise your kids, doesn't matter, you are being looked at by all of my little ones and all the other little ones in here. So what are you going to be for those little ones? Only place in the scripture it talks about extinguishing yourself. You know what I'm saying. I'm not going to use the word for it. Only place in scripture. Better to tie a millstone around your neck and cast yourself in the ocean than lead a little one astray. Do the math on it. Think about what that says. You think that's just a metaphor? It's saying it's better for you to go 10-7 out of service than to lead a little one astray. So if you're not a, an example of the living God of creation's desire for you as a follower of Jesus Christ to model it, I'd encourage you to step back tonight and, and the sum total of your life say, what do I want to be? What am I? Where am I at? Where am I going? I would encourage you to say, God, where is my heart? If I have no desire to be a, a picture of Christ to the little ones, God, Lord, help me. Maybe you need to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and come to saving faith in him. Because there's no one I would hope tonight that would say, I don't care what happens to them. I would hope you have the heart of Christ when it says, suffer little children to come unto me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. I don't think it gets any clearer about what God's heart is in the children. Amen? Amen. 
God cares a whole lot about the littles, little ones, and he cares a whole lot about the elderly, doesn't he? Nations are going to be judged based on their treatment of both of them. I'm watching firsthand the sad reality of how cast away those older ones are. It just breaks my heart. And I'm once again seeing it after 30 years back, watching the reality of that even more magnified than when I was started out at 16 years old in geriatrics all those years ago. Church, I hope your heart tonight is a heart that desires to be the hands and feet of Jesus and not just some shadow, some false perception of what you think people think you are. Because I will promise you, these little ones, just like I did, I saw right through it. And it ran me as far away from the Lord as anything could have ever run me away. And I hope today that people see me and they see the real Jesus lived out in my life because I do not, under any circumstance, want to be a weight that would in any way push a child away from coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, much less an adult. I care about people and I want to see people come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and see them mature and be fruitful and bless their generations to come with that gift of what I had, a godly heritage, and I firmly believe that my parents' desire to love and honor and glorify Christ, I am experiencing the blessing of. I'm still overwhelmed at God's grace because he shouldn't have been graceful to me. God should have extinguished me because of all the chances I had growing up as a child, and I'm just so thankful for it. And I hope, church, tonight that all of us just reflect on what we are, what we're doing, where we are, where we're going, in church, are you a true living reflection of the glory of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life. First, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a savior and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you and you wanna live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.